You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. everyone and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. Imagine a world where you're always one step ahead of cyber threats, where your defenses are impenetrable because you see what others don't. Welcome to Team Cymru's Threat Intelligence Solutions. With real-time access to the world's largest threat intelligence data ocean, they enable you to turn the tables on attackers. Transform your security from reactive to proactive through accelerated threat hunting and incident response, made possible through automation. Empower your team with visibility and insights to start defending your organization like never before. Team Cymru, be the hunter, not the hunted. Learn more at team-cymru.com slash cyberwire. That's team-cymru.com slash cyberwire. This type of vulnerability short circuits logins essentially. It lets the attacker abuse trusted relationships between applications and the servers that are hosting them. That's Jen Miller Osborne. She's deputy director of threat intelligence for Unit 42 at Palo Alto Networks. The research we're discussing today is titled Server Side Request Forgery Exposes Data of Technology, Industrial, and Media Organizations. So when an attacker can craft the the URL that the server is sending a request to for the application, they can force it to look wherever they want within an environment, basically. So they're able to almost have basically have full access to an internal environment, especially cloud environments are especially dangerous for this because of the way they are structured with the metadata API. And essentially what this ends up allowing an attacker to do is use internal resources, which typically don't take requests from outside the internal environment are now accessible because an attacker is able to already be in that internal environment and they can query those um, the internal things directly. It's almost like the the internal API now becomes accessible from directly from the internet, which hmm. is exactly what you don't want to have with any sort of API at all. But that's what this vulnerability allows to happen is that kind of connection between the attacker and the internal resources. And the vulnerability is is because of uh, a bug somewhere along the lines? Yep, it's just a web application vulnerability. And it's relatively common in a number of APIs because it's, it's just taking advantage of 
trusted relationships, which are common, especially inside an environment where the architects are, were already assuming that those internal devices were protected, essentially, and they were not, things could not come at them from the internet. So this vulnerability allows that to be, that, state, that protection to be removed, basically. And now all of a sudden, these internal devices, someone can actually query and get data from, even though they're exploiting what is usually an advantage to speed things up within a network, um, and they're abusing those trusted relationships for malicious purposes. So it was something that was architected intending to be good for the system performance and the application performance, but unfortunately, it is also something that can be exploited by attackers, which I you see. see in a lot of types of attacks, right? So it's, it's not a supply chain attack, but it's exploiting the same kind of thing. They're assuming trust relationships where they can use them to get access to data they wouldn't normally get access to. And so um, this sort of thing is used for getting data out of a system as opposed to, for example, running code. Yes, this is more for taking data out. What they're able to query, they can get code depending on how it is stored. So they're accessing whatever is with the particular metadata API at that time, which can be anything from network configurations, credentials, and even source code. So it is possible, depending on the metadata that is within a particular API, that the attackers could get a company's or some sort of application source code. They can get all of the internal network configurations. They can get all sorts of credentials, which basically gives them access to do whatever they want. They know what the network looks like, and they now have your legitimate credentials. So it's, hmm. it's a nightmare scenario for any, any defender. Now, one of the things you outline in the research here is that there's an issue with URLs not being properly sanitized. Can you walk us through what's going on there? Again, it's a bit of abusing the um, the trust relationships. Hmm. So the the systems are assuming that the API that the request that's going to be coming from this trusted endpoint is going to be valid. Basically, it's not going to be malicious. But the problem is when an attacker gets in, they are then able to abuse that trust relationship and redirect the response. So if they're querying for, say they're looking for some sort of internal data, like network configuration or, cre or credentials, instead of that reply being sent back to the actual server that made it internally, which is what the system thinks is happening, the attacker is actually able to redirect it to go to wherever they want, basically. So they can redirect that data from its intended internal, where it should have gone, they'll redirect it to something they're controlling instead, and that's how they'll get access to the data. You can see there's a, it's actually easier to see visually. We have an example um, in the blog where you can see where they add the redirect to it. So how prevalent is this? In the scanning that you did, how big an issue are we talking about here? So we found 7,000 instances that seem to be exposed and vulnerable to this. We did not go any further than scanning them to double check. That was unfortunate. I mean, 7,000 is a lot, and they were spread across a number of different uh, public clouds. And there are patches available? Yes. This is something that could be taken care of. And actually, it's not even so much of a patch. It's the shifting um, by the cloud providers themselves to not allow this sort of HTTP URL redirect in that mm. particular instance. But there's also a separate a patch itself. But I guess the one of the lessons here is that uh, there's a, a lot of systems that go unpatched for a variety of reasons. 
Mm-hmm. And there's systems that sometimes get set up that are then forgotten about or not properly maintained, and they just kind of sit on the internet for a long period of time. And in some cases, the organizations don't even have them listed as assets anymore, which is one of the reasons we try to do this sorts of research. And then when and if we can actually identify people, we let them know so they can remediate it. Um, And if nothing else, we try to make sure we can get the data out there just so hopefully this prompts people that may not have patched an instance in a while to kind of go take a look (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, and see what's going on and see if they need to upgrade. We One of the things for this we noted, Azure actually isn't vulnerable to this because it blocks SSRF requests. And we're seeing more of the cloud providers are also moving to that same protection. They're just not allowing that to happen in the environment at all. So let let me just get really basic with you here and and, and walk through it together. I mean, if I was a bad guy out there trying to take advantage of this and I'm doing my own scans and I'm finding systems that are potentially vulnerable, you know, a system pops up that is vulnerable. I think it's interesting. I'd like to get inside. Um, what do I do next to, how do I execute my, my evil plans? You need to start trying to send crafted URLs to the vulnerable devices to see if they work. Mm. It's rel. It's, it's one of those things where it's relatively automated in a sense where it has a specific pattern. So once they've identified that it's vulnerable, then they can actually start trying to exploit that vulnerability, which is not particularly difficult to exploit, unfortunately. So in terms of protecting yourself against this, what are your recommendations? Upgrade. (laughs) If you're on one of the cloud (laughs) providers that, um, that has shifted this and apply a patch, this is really one where SSRF just needs to not be allowed in those environments. And if you are going to allow this sort of vulnerability, you really need to make sure you have enough other protections in place to keep this from being exploited. As we noted before, once the attackers have this sort of access, they basically pretty much run your network. And and they would be presumably running under the radar here. I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, I guess they wouldn't be calling a lot of attention to themselves. It would honestly depend on the attacker. Some of them can be surprisingly noisy uh, once they get inside the systems because they're assuming there's not going to be a lot of logging or things on an endpoint for detection. I see. Yeah, one of the interesting things I noted in your research here in terms of your list of, of remediation and best practices was this idea of having a zero trust network, which you kind of touched on earlier that you know, one of the reasons that this works is that there's this sense that once something's going on within you know, within the castle walls, inside the moat, that it's 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 generally trusted. But if you have a zero trust network, that may, might be a way to help prevent this. Yes, absolutely. And that's something we um, as a company have been pushing for a number of years is that zero trust where realistically in this day and age, you can't assume any of the devices on your network are not compromised. So you need to kind of operate in the sort of mindset where you assume at any point in time that something can be compromised. So you have the extra protections in place where you don't, where vulnerabilities like this can't work because none of the systems are trusted. So you can't exploit any sort of trust relationship. Now, one of the things uh, that you point out in your research here, in fact, in in the title, uh, you, you suggest that it's, they're going after some specific industries, technology, industrial and media organizations. Um, what in particular makes them vulnerable to this? It's just how they were set up in this particular case. I don't know if it's whether the 
attackers were targeting that or that's just who happened to be vulnerable to this particular vulnerability, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah. So if you're, you're in a particular type of business, there's a particular way that you're likely to set up things and that aligns with this vulnerability, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this was more just it just it's a kind of happenstance more so than than any targeting. So what are the take homes here? What do you want people to uh, to take away from uh, this research that you're sharing? That they need to go check their cloud instances and see if they are vulnerable to this. Um, and even keep in mind just the problems that trusted relationships within a network can bring and maybe reconsider their protection strategy. Or at least maybe then they'll have more of an informed position on how they should make that decision. If they need to do any re-architecting, hopefully people that have these instances or they haven't patched in a while will go and check their own and then they'll, they'll patch or upgrade if, if they're found to be vulnerable to it. Yeah, we're really just hoping by getting this out there that we can help with protections because it is potentially pretty bad. That's Jen Miller Osborne from Palo Alto Networks Unit 42. The research we were discussing today is titled Server-Side Request Forgery Exposes Data of Technology, Industrial, and Media Organizations. We'll have a link in the show notes. Everybody, I want to take a few minutes here and talk about our sponsor, Splunk. You know, you need to keep operations humming around the clock, but potential disruptions are everywhere. Splunk helps you predict problems and find and fix issues fast so you can reduce risk and ditch downtime. The world's largest enterprises rely on Splunk's unified security and observability platform to become more efficient, resilient, and innovative. With Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com slash resilience. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.